Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. James chapter 1, beginning of verse number 2. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider it all joy, my brethren encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen. You may be seated. subject. Uh, it'll all work out in the end. Amen. It'll all work out in the end. Let me go ahead and say this uh, just in case I don't get a chance to address it during uh, uh, the message. Uh, yesterday, um, to a vote of 57 to 43, Donald Trump was once again acquitted in his impeachment trial. Okay. I'm, I'm talking to y'all. I'm not preaching this. I'm just, I want to make a statement about it so that y'all know uh, where and how we stand. So um, Donald Trump was acquitted. He was voted guilty, 57 votes to not guilty, 43. So the majority of the Senate agreed that he was guilty, but they need what is called in politics a supermajority or a two-thirds vote in order to convict a president in an impeachment trial. Um, even with the acquittal, though, you have to understand that that is the largest bipartisan impeachment vote in American history. There has never been more than one senator to go against party lines and go for the impeachment of its party's president. This time there were seven Republicans who agreed uh, that Donald Trump was worthy of conviction. Um, and there are many who feel like the political process in this sense has failed and that justice has not been served. And I want to comfort those of us uh, who are African-American, we, we, we are not new to people going unpunished for things that they should be punished for. And so our hope for justice has never been in the American justice system. It's always been in the justice of God. And so although Donald Trump may have escaped impeachment justice from the Senate, uh, you have to understand that God never allows anyone to get away with anything. Amen. Uh, especially when those actions result in the hurt and harm and jeopardy of others. 
Amen. God won't let you get away with the stuff that you do that only affects you. So you have to know that he won't allow someone to get away with bad action that affects everyone. And so um, I've, I've seen a lot of apathy, a lot of anger, a lot of people saying that that's why I don't vote. That's why I don't participate. That's why my voice does not matter because this person can do whatever they want and go unpunished. Um, but if you saw uh, that America didn't change gun control after Sandy Hook, right, uh, we have a long way to go. Uh, uh, this is a land, I think, that uh, by and large, if you poll the majority of Americans, they want justice, but we can't agree on what justice is, right? For some people, justice means the righting of wrong, but for some, justice means just us getting over on everybody else. And uh, we have to be able to know the difference. Um, but even in that, we cannot be overcome with despair. Amen? Amen. Uh, we cannot become overcome with frustration and anger and disengage from the process because if we are to be salt and light, salt is only useful to a dish if you put it in the dish. Right? Light is only useful. It's talking about a candle because there were no light bulbs when Jesus was speaking. A candle is only good in a dark room if you take it into the dark room. So we as Christians don't have the privilege of disengaging from political or social process, but we have to do it with the right mindset, and that is after we fulfill our civic responsibility to vote, we trust in God to be righteous in his judgment and to do what's best. And I think although uh, America is damaged by Donald Trump, I think that we needed that butt whooping. Yeah, I, th I think America needed that uh, so that we could see exactly uh, how far we've fallen. And how far we are still falling. And uh, how we don't really have the right uh, to police the rest of the world. Because this beam that was in our eye has been exposed by Donald Trump. Uh, as we try to sweep the sawdust out of the rest of the world. Right? And so uh, we have to remember that God wants to expose us. America is a great nation because it's made up of great people. Um, but systematically at its foundation America is not great. It is not great, and uh, has never been a time when it was great. But I think America is actually, uh, in kind of a sly nod to Donald Trump, I think America is positioned at its greatest position now because we know we need God more than ever before. And when God can use trial, hear me, to take you from believing that you're God's gift to the world, and transition you to your right perspective, understanding that you're not God's gift to the world. You actually need God's gift to the world so that you can be useful to the rest of the world, right? When you got countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia and Iran telling America that they have no business talking about human rights when you're slaughtering black people in the streets, uh, that's a problem, right? Uh, we used to be able to say to those countries, stop killing your own people, but now they say to us, stop killing yours. And I think we needed that. And so uh, in spite of what's happened with, with President Trump, we still believe that God uh, will do justice and that justice will be served ultimately and that nobody gets away with anything. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, considering all the things that we've gone through leading up to 2021 and things that I think we're still going to go through, I kind of want to take a couple of weeks um, and I don't really know, honestly, how I'm going to approach it. I don't know if I'm going to preach it or if I'm going to teach it or if I'm going to be somewhere in the middle of both. Uh, but I kind of want to deal with this text um, uh, for the next couple of weeks so that 
we can kind of gain an understanding of how God wants us to view difficult times. Amen. And what God is telling us in these difficult times, I'm going to get right to the point. You cannot fear difficult times because difficult times have been orchestrated by God to work for your good. Okay? You cannot fear difficult times. Right? Because God has orchestrated those difficult times to work for your good. Right? And you have to understand that. And so when James writes this particular passage of scripture, you have to understand the perspective that James is writing from, right? James says, consider it all joy. The New King James says, count it all joy. The ESV says, consider it pure joy. But literally, when it says, count it all joy, consider it pure joy, what the text is saying is, he's saying, shout about it. That's literally what he's saying. He's saying leap for joy. Be exuberant in praise. Shout about it. Right? Shout about what? James says, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. So so James is saying, hear me, how you respond to the trial. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your response to the trial determines what you get out of the trial. How you respond to it determines whether or not you are able to benefit from it. And your response comes from your perspective. So when he says, consider it pure joy or count it all joy, he's saying when you encounter trials, don't see them the way the rest of the world sees them. But see them according to the gospel that says all things are working together for your good. Even if in the moment they don't feel good to you. They are working together for your benefit. So when I see a trial, I welcome it because I know it is just an opportunity for God to make it work together for my good. But if I respond incorrectly to the trial, if I shudder in, if I stop coming to corporate worship, if I allow myself to be overwhelmed, if I forget the promise of God to protect me, if I stop uh, doing what God has commanded me to do in trial, I will not benefit from the trial. And because God is a good, good father, he'll make me go through another trial until I get the benefit of the trial. Some of us are locked in a circle or a vicious circle Uh, a cycle of trial because we will not benefit from the trial the way God wants us to benefit. And the only way we can benefit is by seeing the trial the way God wants us to see the trial. Are you listening to me? God says, count it all joy. He says, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials, not just of one kind. He's saying of various kinds. That every difficulty, every situation, every trial, every circumstance has an opportunity to work for your good. Meaning that if there is no area in your life that is off limits to God, that means there is nothing in your life that God can't use to develop you spiritually. God is only limited by the access you give him into your life. But whatever you give God access to, he's able to use it. 
See, some of us want to compartmentalize our lives and give God the stuff that we know we can't handle and then the things that we think we can handle, we want to keep our hands on it and tell God to keep his hands off of it. But God says that if you invite me fully into your life, I can use all of the problems in every area to benefit you and to work for your good. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds. This is what he says. Consider it in verse 2, right? Verse 3, know it, right? Verse 2 starts with the word consider. Verse 3 starts with the word know it, right? Those are verbs that linguistically are connected to each other in the Greek text, meaning I am able to consider because of what I know. I am able to view my trials a certain way because I know something not about my trial but about the God that allowed the trial to come. Do you hear what I'm saying? He, he says if you're able to consider or you're, if you're able to know the truth about God, then you'll have the proper perspective about everything else. I want you to hear me. Write this down. The right perspective about God puts everything else in perspective. The right perspective about God puts everything else in perspective. Paul Tillich said it this way. In order to see the world clearly, you must see the creator of the world clearly. If you have a skewed picture of God, then you'll have a skewed, a skewed picture of your fellow man. Why? Because your fellow man is made in the image of God. But if your image of God is corrupted, then the image of God in your mind will be corrupted. So you can't treat people right if you don't treat God right. That's why I tell people, don't marry someone who's not a worshiper. Because if they can't worship God, they can't treat you right. Because if God is the lover of their soul and they'll deny him worship, what will they deny you? Do you hear what I'm saying? If you see God right, you'll see money right. Because you'll understand that money is not the ruler of my life. But it is a resource given to me by the God that is my father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Do you hear what I'm saying? If I see God right, I'll see everything else right. He says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith. Huh. The testing of your faith. It is examination. It is literally the proving. It's not, it's not an academic testing. It is quality control. Hear me. You, you, you understand the difference? Right? There is a difference between me testing you academically in school and me testing a product for quality control. There are two different purposes. Right? When I test something for quality control, I am making sure that it meets the standard that I need it to meet because my name is on it. So before I release it into the marketplace, I've got to make sure that it can withstand the scrutiny of my name. So I've got to test your faith because your faith speaks to my power. If you don't believe right, then people won't believe right. But I've got to make sure that your faith has been tested so that it can be trusted to represent me. Do you hear what I'm saying? It is quality control. Before I release you, you got to be tested. 
So we got too many people that want to be released, but they haven't been tried. Yeah. Like, I, you, you want to be an influencer. You want to be a speaker. You want to post all this stuff and do all these things, but you haven't been tested in your faith. Yeah. Because uh, you can know a lot of stuff until you're tested. Yeah. Have, have you ever, has anybody ever, ever, anybody ever overstudied for a test? And by overstudy, I mean you study so much that stuff you knew you was right about, you started questioning that because you were so nervous about the test that you overstudied. And then answers that you should have got right, you got wrong. And then the ones that you overstudied, you got right. Yeah, it's because testing will show you what you don't know. Yeah, that's what I tell. I, 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 tell, I talk to seminarians, man, and I am one. And I talk to seminarians uh, all the time, and I tell them there is a difference between knowing cognitively and being able to do it practically, right? Because when you go to school, school will fill you up with a bunch of paradigms and a, a bunch of history and a bunch of philosophy that has not been practiced in the trenches of life and ministry. And then when you got to live this thing, when your faith is actually tested, you'll find out that all that stuff you learn really don't mean all the stuff you thought it meant. And you'll have to hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone. It's funny that after thousands of years of seminary training and theology, at the end of the day, we always say we need to get back to Jesus. Doesn't matter how much we study, how much they teach, how many degrees we hand out, how many degrees we earn, how much student loan debt, my God, we all go into to get these degrees, right? At the end of the day, after I look, when I look around and I think things over, at the end of the day, it all goes back to Jesus. He says you're trying of your faith, the, the quality control of your faith, the quality control testing of your faith. I got to make sure your stuff is right, right? But this is the only scenario where the testing works to the benefit of the one who is being tested. Because he said, knowing this, what? That the testing of your faith produces endurance. It is the Greek word hupomene, right? It, it means hupo means under, meno is the Greek word, M-E-N-O, means to stand up straight. It means to stand erect, right? So hupomene literally means to stand under pressure. So he's saying that the trying of your faith produces in you the ability to stand up under the pressures of life. Yeah. He, he's saying that your testing, no matter how you come out of it, you might fail this test but it'll make you stronger. You might fail the next test, but it'll make you more wise. You might fail the next test, but now you know not to spend your money on that stupid stuff. Every test, even the ones you fail, work together to make you better. That's why you should love God. Because some gods are only strong enough to use the good things you do to work for your good. But the God that you serve is so great that he has the ability to take the things, the tests that you pass and the tests that you fail and put them together to work for your good. That is why Paul said, and we know, that all things, Pantera, all things work together. Everything on earth, literally is what that means, works together for the good of them who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. You have to believe that it's working for your good. And the reason why I'm able to stand under pressure is because I know it's all going to work out in the end. 
It's going to work out in the end. I'm going to come out of this. How does it work out, though? Because I think that in order for us to celebrate the fact that it's going to work out, we have to know what we're looking for it to work out as. What does working out look like, according to the text? Right? Working out, according to the text, it benefiting you, according to the Bible. How many Christians we got in the room? If you're a Christian, put your hand up. Okay, if you are a Christian, working out for your good means making you more like Jesus. Doesn't mean making you rich. Doesn't mean making you powerful. Doesn't mean making you influential. Doesn't mean making you healthy, wealthy, or wise. It means making you more like Jesus. That's how it works out for you. That at the end of the day, when this trial is over, you're a little bit more like Christ. Right? Why is it important? Romans 4, 3 and 4, rather, explain to us that because of sin, we are at war with God. Right? Me, Joshua Jerome Eggerson Sr., is at war with God. You, personally, are at war with God. And because you're at war with God, and God don't have to do anything, God is committed to fully destroying all of his enemies. I want you to stay with me now. God says, I'm going to destroy every person who is at war with me. Okay? Jesus, because he is God, agreed that everyone and everything who is at war with God has to be destroyed. But Jesus does it like this. He says, okay, Father, uh, I know you got to kill everything that's at war with you. But I'm going to go and I'm going to die for them and I'm going to cover for them and I'm going to stand in their place so that when you see them, you don't see them. You see me. But because I agree with you, Father, everything that's against you has to be destroyed. While you're looking at them and seeing me, I'm also dwelling inside of them to wipe out the parts of them that need to be destroyed as well. So God says, I'm going to destroy the old you. But I'm not going to destroy you in death and fire. I'm going to destroy you through sanctification by turning you from you into the image of somebody who I can be pleased with. Do you hear what I'm saying? God's desire is to wipe you out. Right? Before it was to wipe you out in anger. Now it's to wipe you out in love so that you can actually be who it is that he's called you to be. The world needs Jesus. But God is not sending Jesus again until the culmination. So the only way to get Jesus back on earth is for you to open up your willy-be heart and let him inside your heart to live in you and influence the world through you. Do you hear what I'm saying? He says that you've got to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why Romans 3 and 4 teach that we're at war with God. But then when he gets to Romans 5 verse 1, he says, therefore, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Right? That peace is not simply Irene or Irene, the absence of conflict. It literally means a peace treaty. We have a peace treaty with God written in the blood of Jesus Christ. He said we are literally at peace with God. Peace has been purchased. Right? But since peace has been purchased, transformation is required to maintain the peace. 
Jesus negotiated a ceasefire. Do you hear what I'm saying? But the ceasefire is predicated upon you conforming yourself to the image of Jesus Christ. That's why it's not enough for you to love him as Savior. You've got to submit to him as Lord. You've got to let him tell you what to do. You've got to let him control your life, orchestrate the affairs of your life, submit to his will, accept his worldview, let his standard become your standard. Because if you don't, you'll find yourself thinking that you're right with God when you're really at war with him. And God says, because of Jesus, I give you time. Look what Paul says. Paul says, God does not wink at sin as others consider winking, but he has given every man time to repent. Right. But when judgment starts, it will start first in the household of God. That's what Paul says. Paul says God is gracious as to give you time. But don't think he's winking at your sin. You can sit up in here. It was immediate death. But now it's that long, slow death that when you see him, you get cast into the lake of fire. Because you don't want to be conformed into his image. And one of the chief ways that God uses Thank you, Holy Ghost. To conform you to his image is trial. And if you're going to get the benefit of the trial, you cannot hit the eject button just because it's hard. You cannot mentally and emotionally check out. Christians don't get to do that. Can I tell you, that's, that's why you need the Holy Spirit. Right? And, 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 and some of us are afraid of that. And, and I'll be honest with y'all, man, we make it scary. Pentecostals, we do. We make it scary, right? But a lot of stuff that we call the Holy Ghost traditionally at Pentecostals ain't that. It's just emotion, right? Right? And the reason you know it's emotion. Now, you don't, dis you don't disconnect one from the other. Let me help you, right? Because God is the creator of everything, which means your emotions came from who? God gave you your emotions so that you could emotionally express your worship to him, okay? So I'm not, I'm not advocating for a worship experience absent of emotionality. Um, but what I am arguing for is a worship experience that is not absent of transformation. Because what happens is we will emotionalize in here and then raise hell out there, which lets you know that a lot of stuff that we call the Holy Ghost ain't it. Because if I can Holy Ghost in here and then treat you poorly out there, it ain't it. Right? Um, and then that's what the Bible says, right? James, the same James, he says, if any man claims to be religious but cannot control his tongue, that man is a liar. And his religion is in vain. Doesn't say if any man claims to be religious and can't speak in tongues. He said if any man claims to be religious and cannot control his mouth or her mouth, that person is a liar and their religion is in vain. The reason why you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit of God, it is God the Holy Spirit. Understand this, right? So the Holy Spirit is not a possession, right? How many ever heard somebody say you, you got, they caught the Holy Ghost or somebody catch the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not a possession to be caught. It is God. The Holy Ghost is God, the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Ghost is not something that you can catch. It has to be something that arrests you, right? And the reason why many of us can't control our mouth is because we won't be arrested by the Holy Ghost. We want to use the Holy Ghost like a possession in church or blame our emotionality or our uncontrollability on the Holy Ghost in church. 
but then don't allow the Holy Ghost to control us out there, right? I got receipts. People I ain't cussed out because I'm full of the Holy Ghost, right? Right, and that's, that's, what, that's what the Bible, you should have receipts on your life, right? Places where the Holy Ghost is evident, right? But if you always gossiping, you always going off, you always talking about what you're going to say, you always got a bad attitude, you always telling somebody how you're going to get them together or gather them or do whatever, the truth of the matter is you probably are not filled with the Holy Ghost. Because while you're trying to gather other people, the Holy Ghost should be gathering you. Right? You've got to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. So when you're going through trials, you don't respond like the world responds. Why? Because you're full of the Holy Spirit of God. How do I get filled? Right? You are filled with the Holy Spirit, right, at the moment of your conversion. But the Bible says where there is one filling, there are many refillings. Right? Uh, you, have to un you have to understand that you have to fill yourself day by day with the Spirit of God. How do you do that? Through the word of God, through prayer. It's the only way to do it. There's no shortcuts, right? Reading books about the Holy Ghost won't help you get filled with the Holy Ghost, right? Reading the Bible is how you acquaint yourself with the spirit of God. Prayer. Not just prayer, y'all. Silent meditation. Not sleeping, folks. Right? Not napping. Right? But meditation, sitting. Reading the scripture and then just sitting and waiting and hearing what God has to say. Pulling out a pen and a paper and writing out those thoughts as they come to your mind. You write them down, not just so that you can remember them, but so that you can check them against scripture. Because when you check them against scripture, that's how you know whether or not God was speaking. Because even though God still speaks, he will speak to you. He has already spoken once in his word and he will never speak anything to you audibly that contradicts what he revealed in the book. Right? It, when, when God wanted, con wanted to contradict or to complete what was in Scripture, he did it himself. He sent Jesus. He didn't send nobody in his place to say it. When God said uh, the Sabbath, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. So if you want to go out there and work on the Sabbath, he can if he needs to work. It's not about that. It's about honoring God, right? But God said, Jesus said that. God said that himself. He didn't send no prophet to contradict the word of God. You understand what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? If, if, if there is ever an instance in Scripture where Jesus says something different or interprets something different than how it was traditionally interpreted in Scripture, Jesus made that call. The apostles didn't make it after him. Only Jesus did. Right? And so now you know that if you hear anything in your spirit, man, that contradicts the word of God, it's not coming from God. That's coming from you. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right. I'm going to stop there. He says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Here it is, verse 4. He says, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Right? So he says, perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Y'all say it with me. Say perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Say it again. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I didn't understand this. God had to help me, right? Because essentially when you look at it, he says the same things over and over again. It is one Greek word. It is teleos, right? He says 
teleos, teleosis, teleos. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. He's saying you're going to be complete, complete, complete. You're going to be perfect, perfect, perfect. You're going to be perfect, perfect. That, that, that's what he's saying. He's saying when God gets done with you, you're going to be good, good. Not just good. You're going to be perfect, perfect. How perfect? Real perfect. But the only way that you can get it is by allowing patience to have its perfect work. What he said, and let patience, let endurance rather, endurance and patience is the same word. So if you hear me use them interchangeably, it's all right. I'm not changing the Bible. It says, let endurance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, having nothing, lacking nothing. He says, the only way for you to get to the place where you are perfect is by, you to stay, is by you staying in God's process until God completes in you what he needs to complete in you. You cannot hit the eject button. Listen to me, folks. We cannot disengage in hard times. We cannot. We're, we're going through the same stuff that everybody else is going through. Paul tells uh, the church in Rome, he says, uh, or in Corinth, he said the same things that you're going through. Your brothers all over the world are experiencing. You're not just going through this thing by yourself, but you have a different responsibility because all eyes are on you. You can't abandon your responsibilities in the midst. Hear me. You can't abandon your responsibilities in your personal life. You cannot abandon your responsibilities in your relationships. You cannot check out on your job, and you can't check out on your church. You cannot abandon the process because the trials that are trying to keep you out of church, out of your relationships, from being successful on your job, from doing the things that you say you're going to do and keeping your word, those trials have been sent by the devil, but they've been authorized by God because God knows that he can use them to make you better. But the devil wants to make it so hot and so hard and so irritating that you abandon the process and then you miss the benefit of the trial in the first place. This trial is not big enough to take you out, but it is useful enough to make you better. Did you hear what I'm saying? And you've got to know that. It doesn't have the strength to take you out, but it does have something in it that you can use. Do you hear what I'm saying? There are some things that my son does when he's training that we know he can't do for real, but he sees the other athletes that are in the gym doing it, so his coach will let him do it, right? And he's no threat to those guys, or he'll let them work out or scrimmage against older athletes and stuff. Those athletes know that this five-year-old ain't no threat to them. But they understand that there is something in the training that can benefit them and benefit him if they just do it. They know he's not a threat. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when he comes on the field, they welcome him on the field. Because they understand that he's not a threat to hurt me, but he might be able to help me train. He fasts, and if I chased him, it might help me get a good workout. You understand what I'm saying? They welcome him because they don't see him as hurtful. They see him as helpful. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you see a trial then, you should welcome it, not run from it, because it does not have the strength to kill you. Why? Because no weapon, do you hear what I'm saying, formed against you 
will be able to prosper. It does not have the power to kill you. Why? Because you serve a God who is able to keep you from stumbling. The trial does not have what it takes to kill you, but it does have what it takes to improve you. So you welcome the trial. That's how you get like the old saints were when they get to singing crazy stuff like, God, I thank you for my mountains and I thank you for my valleys. Thank you for every storm you brought me through because if I never had a problem, I would not have learned that God could solve them. I would not have learned what faith in his word could do. Do you hear what I'm saying? So through it all, I've learned to trust it. Y'all, you understand what I'm saying? Th those songs come from a place of experience. But experience only comes from the place of trial. So if you are asking God to make you a big Christian, then stop getting irritated when you face big trial. If you're trying to grow in God, you're going to face full-grown trials. Because God can't grow grown Christians with baby trials. God says, if you want to be a full-grown Christian, I got to send you full-grown trouble so that you can develop full-grown trust. Because once you develop full-grown trust, you'll gain access to full-grown triumph. Every enemy in your life, you'll have victory over. Every circumstance in your life, you'll be able to overcome because you've learned to trust me. You hear what I'm saying? He says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and tests, understanding the trying of your faith. Dokimazo, the proving of your faith, produces hupomene, endurance, patience, the ability to stand under pressure. You hear what I'm saying? And he says, and let patience have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Look at somebody and say, I'm going to be all right. Yeah, once, once this trial is over, huh? I shall wear a crown when it's all over. Yeah. When it's all over, it's going to work out in the end. How many of y'all believe that? Put your hands together for the word of God.